Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers on Twitter, not aka Michael Bailey. Michael is taking a short break. Don't worry, we haven't lost him to lockdown. He is coming back. Uh, This is the 50th edition of On The Ball and Michael will be back to complete his half century very soon. I'm just playing the night watchman role for a few weeks. But enough tortured cricketing metaphors, we have a football team to talk about. And we've got a football team to talk about who are winning games again. Uh, We'll be going back over this episode over killer through balls and sumptuous first touches. We'll be discussing cruel runnings with Tim's recent form. We'll ask if there's a worse type of penalty than the cheeky chip that drifts harmlessly over the bar. And then we'll all agree on the basis of one good performance that the good times are definitely back. So for all of this, I am fortunate to be joined by a stalwart podcaster. I hope you don't mind me calling you stalwart. Uh, a member of the On The Ball podcast team and a Norwich City fan, Ben Mouncer. How are you? Hello, Steve. Stalwart is fine. I'd have probably um, drawn the line at veteran, um, but, <laughs> but stalwart is good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm positively radiant after our best performance of the season. Um, on Saturday so yeah obviously just the two of us tonight how's this meant to work am I meant to kind of debate with myself am I arguing with myself or are you going to answer your own questions well I mean I'm not much of an arguer but I'm happy to if you need someone to argue with I will be that person Um, you're going to have to answer my questions (laughs) otherwise I'm going to get very very tired of the sound of my own voice we'll get on to the main act now the headline act Like all good festivals, we have more than one headline act for you this week. And we're going to be talking about Norwich City's front four from yesterday. We will get onto them individually shortly. uh, But first of all, let's talk about the performance, particularly in the first half. Um, There will be a few of me saying uh, this is the first time that Norwich City have, uh, because it is the first time they've done quite a few things. Um, It was the first time that they scored three in a league game and the first time they scored with the first two shots since the Man City win Um, and it was also the first time that they scored three and a half in the league since the win against QPR way back in April 2019. So first question Ben, are Daniel Farker's Norwich City officially back? It feels like we are moving towards a state of being back. I think that's probably a sensible answer Mm -hmm. right? We've got a couple of tough games coming up this week, which we'll talk about later. And I think after those two games, we, we may have a, a real sense of um, that we're back. But, you know, we, we were looking at the, this week, you know, with the matches away at Brentford and Bristol City and thinking um, after the positive results, if maybe not performances, well, Birmingham was good, but Wickham, the performance wasn't so good. We, we were kind of looking at these two games as, as, a, as a measuring post of, of where we truly are. And I think Norwich have come out of them, especially obviously the win over Bristol City at the weekend in a really good place and that that kind of cohesion and attacking fluidity that defined our championship winning season two seasons ago was very much there on Saturday at Ashton Gate. Yeah and I guess it kind of underlines the fact that 
the, the those games against Rotherham, Birmingham, Wickham, where perhaps we weren't so great, but ground out those results, how important they were as a platform for what we saw, maybe not so much against Brentford, but Bristol City. I mean, presumably you would agree with me that that's the best we've, Saturday was the best we've played for some time. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's definitely... Um the best performance of this season. And although we're going to come on and talk about the attacking players and rightly so, I felt like that there were good performances all over the pitch and our kind of management of the game tactically was also really, really good. Cause there were spells when Bristol city who are a decent side, actually, I think, and they did threaten us. But I think even in those situations, we, we managed the game quite well. And we, um, obviously we, we, we raced into an early lead and then they got on back straight away. So it's a very strange start to the game, but generally I think, I don't know, that we seem to have that kind of control that Daniel Farker wants from his teams, perhaps more so than at any point in the season that I can remember. Let's talk about the front four then. I want to talk about Marco Stiegman first. Um, we, we, we featured Mario Vrancic heavily last week, playing in that role. But Stiegman had a, had a huge impact on Saturday. Um, it was his pass for Pukki's, for Pukki's goal. Um, and he, he could have had one or two more assists, in fact. So... Where, where are we with Marco Stiegman at the moment? <laughs> I think a lot of Norwich fans are really keen to see him um, play in that number 10 role. And when, when you see how he performed on Saturday, especially in the first half, you can, you can understand why. I mean, obviously, we've, we've weirdly kind of struggled to fill that number 10 role. Um, certainly last season, obviously, Stiegman excelled in that role in the title winning season. But I think the qualities that he showed in, the, in that campaign have really came to the fore on Saturday. And I think what he offers is kind of danger whenever he's on the ball. There's always a sense that he is um, going to do something. And I think that, 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 was re- that was really true on Saturday, that like the pass for Pukki's goal was a, a classic kind of steepy, ruthless kind of pass straight through the middle, Pukki finish, bang. Like very, very clinical. And I think... Um, yeah, he, he just, he, he, although sometimes he does kind of look a bit awkward on the ball, there is that sense that something is always going to happen with him. And I'm not sure, maybe with some of our other creative midfielders who've played in the 10 role, obviously we haven't seen Kieran Dow a lot, but I'm not sure whether that's always the case. What I would say is that I think um, what you don't want to do with Marco Stiepenman is give him the space to kind of turn and then like impact the game facing like the, <laughs> facing, like, the attacking way yeah. because... He, he is then able to either unleash a, a wicked finish that he, that he actually did at Ashton Gate, I think, two seasons ago, or he's able to play a pass like he did for Timmy Pukki. So I think, actually, I think Bristol City did learn that in the second half. They closed him down better and I think nullified him a bit more. Um, yeah, I, I just think he, of all the kind of tools in our attacking armory, he is, he is one I find really valuable because he is unlike anything else we've got. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's where I think we are. I think we're in a position now where we can safely say he's going to be an, an important cog of the machine this season. And it is a machine because because of the regularity of the matches, we are going to have to rotate. And I'm sure Vrancic will play in that role again. I'm sure Todd Cantwell, who you know, I'm sure would love to play number 10, will play that role at some point in the season. But I, I feel like with Stieperman, he, he proved on Saturday that he's, he's got, he, he, he could do real damage again this season, I think. Yeah, and I, I get the feeling that um, Tammy Pukki loves playing in front of Marco Stiepenman. You know, just, just the service that he gets. And, and my, <laughs> what, what I love about Stiepenman is that he is he's kind of given the license in this team to, to 
be that number 10 and to kind of flow trying to, and to try things and for things to go wrong it, it's kind of allowed and it, and, yep. it's, and it's accepted because we know that when it goes right it, it can be really really effective and I think that's why it was right for him to be the first player despite him having a brilliant game it's right for him to be the first player to be taken off because as you said things weren't quite coming off for him in the beginning of the second half in the same way they were at the beginning of the first. And it's at that point where you go, okay, you've, you've done the damage now um, <laughs> in a good way, obviously. <laughs> uh, so uh, time to kind of shore things up. So that felt like a good tactical move. Yeah. Um, I mean, you hear a lot about no nonsense defenders, but in a way he's like a kind of no nonsense attacker, isn't he? Like he, he just yeah. kind of does things and he's like direct in his play. He's aggressive and yeah, he just, it feels like he, he can make things happen at any point. Talking about Timmy Puki, well, let, let's go on to him next. No one had scored a league goal or more than one league goal in a game since Puki's Newcastle hat-trick. So this was a rarity, uh, another one on Saturday. He could have had more than two, though, couldn't he? There, there were a few openings in that first half alone. And again, it, it feels like a question, where, where are we with Timmy Puki? Because he's scoring goals, but is he the, has he got that sharpness back that, it, that he had when he was at his peak with us? I would say yes, on the basis of obviously the two goals he scored. Certainly the first one, it was a very instinctive finish, the first one. I think he, he almost sort of toe-poked it, but that to me kind of made me think of, of Puki of two seasons. I keep, we keep talking about two seasons ago. I know Michael doesn't want us to talk about two seasons ago. <laughs> oh, I absolutely it's do only... want to talk about two seasons ago. <laughs> I'm running the show now. <laughs> and the element of luck, obviously, with the second goal being deflected. But again, I think he got that shot away, which we, we were kind of so... Um, so used to seeing him do when, when he's in peak form. What interests me is obviously he was up against a three-man central defence on Saturday. And if I think about when we played Bournemouth and Derby, two defeats when we were, and both of those teams played a three-man defence and we, we kind of struggled actually in the final third to create those chances. I think here was an example of us coming up against a team that plays three at the back who were actually prepared to press and maybe had a bit more adventure. And I think that maybe played into Pukki's hands a bit because when you have three central defenders, he, this kind of channels between the two wider central defenders are probably um, bigger than they are in like when you've just got two, two defenders. I know that sounds strange, but I think, mm. and he kind of exploited those gaps really effectively. And, and uh, I guess I was going to come onto this in a bit, but the kind of passes to him, not just, um, not just Steepman's, which is spoken about already, but, but the pass from Sorensen for his second goal, fantastic pass, great runs, great passes, and obviously Pookie finishes. But um, yeah, it, I, th- I think it's interesting to to kind of try and s- answer what the question. Uh, I, I kind of feel like he is maybe getting back, which is great. And I, I'm I'm not afraid to kind of say that I had doubts, Steve. I had a lot of doubts about Timmy Pookie, well, yeah. especially how how he performed. And I've I, I made this point on the pod. I've made it a couple of times before, actually. Like I. I, I had serious doubts about whether we'd would ever even see him sort of hit the heights that he did of, of two seasons ago. Damn, said it again. But um, <laughs> and obviously, whether he's going to go on and score nearly thirty goals this season, you know, we we don't know if that will happen. But certainly, there are encouraging signs from his finish against Wickham yeah. and well, and his and his finishes here. I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like to expect him to get thirty, you know, twenty nine league goals, 30, 30 goals in a season again. It, that that probably will never happen again because he sets such outstanding levels. But what he does have already is four goals in his in eight starts and one sub appearance. So you're looking at a, at a one in two ratio there. So yep. it, it's really not a bad start at all. And you still feel like he's not at his sharpest. Although completely agree, 
that that first the, the finish with the first goal he took so quickly that was that felt like vintage vintage Pookie. Let's talk about someone who we we can't compare to two years ago. This is, we can completely move away from that now. Shemi Poeta. How did he get on? I, I, I feel like that that's um, kind of the role on the left of the three is is the most hotly contested for Norwich this season. Um, we've seen Hernandez there. We've seen Campbell there. We've seen Adam Eder there, all starting. And this was Shemi Poeta's second start. He maybe wasn't the most outstanding of the four, but he. He, he certainly carried a threat, particularly on the counter. Yes, definitely. I think his his output generally was quite hit and miss. But I think what he did do was he he stretched the play, which maybe gave some of our attacking players, the more central attacking players, a bit more space. And I think that that's kind of valuable, really, in that in that left hand um, in that left hand role. And it, he found himself in the second half actually in, in a lot of very good attacking positions mm. where he maybe could have passed it to Pukie to, to give Pukie his hat-trick. But actually, I think they were good goal-scoring opportunities for him. And his, I think his goal-scoring record was one of the reasons we, we were certainly interested in him. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of promise with Poeta. Um, and at the moment, it is promise. He's still settling in first season and everything. But I think completely understood his selection against Bristol City. Obviously, Sorensen not being a left-back at all isn't going to offer the same kind of attacking support that um, Kintia may have. So to have kind of that natural width offered by Pojeta made complete sense to me. Um, and I do like the fact that he he just runs with the ball, like because most of our attacking players don't really do that. And he just runs in a straight line. He gets his head down and runs in a straight line. And obviously it, it doesn't always come off, but I, I, I'm, I'm sort of quietly optimistic about his um, potential this season. And I think he played, I think he played an important role for the team on Saturday, not necessarily, he, obviously he made some mistakes and, and I think his, his um, pass completion percentage was the lowest of anyone in that front four. But then he's that kind of player. He's not his his pass percentage isn't going to be as high as Emi Buendia's, for example. I don't think it will be. But what he offers is something different. When Kintia is back, do I see kind of a natural dynamic between those two players on the left hand side? I'm not entirely sure how that partnership would work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the the Brentford game and the lack of threat that we had from on the left hand side I saw a post oh, on Twitter somewhere um, we didn't actually complete a pass into the box from the left hand side everything came in from the right probably not entirely surprising but I, I think you're right while Kintia's out we we kind of need that Poeta threat from from the left interestingly the most encouraging thing I thought from his performance on Saturday was that when he cut inside and, and picked in the first half picked Buendia's run out with that that pass when Brendier hit Bentley in the in the face. I thought that showed really good vision. Um, and that's the kind of thing that Hernandez sometimes lacks. Um, so if he can continue doing that, then, then um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think he's, I don't think we should like typecast him as just a head down merchant, hug the touchline kind of winger. Mm-hmm. I do actually think he's demonstrated, um, yeah, vision. It, it, I think it was his, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, it may have been one of his first appearances. This is this is terrible recollection from me, but I, I, I remember thinking at the time that um, whatever game it was against, you know, insert championship opposition here, it, he 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 was certainly um, a, you know tr- coming into more central areas at times and demonstrating kind of intelligence and awareness of of players around him, which is obviously very important for Daniel Farker that his attacking players do that. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he his kind of season develops. I think. Yeah, and I was a big fan of uh, Daniel Farker taking off um, Marco Stephen to bring on Kenny McLean, which gave us a three behind Pookie of um, Shemi, Kenny and Emmy. 
um, which I hope we see, hope we see that again at some point. <laughs> there you go. What, what a link that was into Emmy Buendia, um, who, uh, well, it, it, it's crazy that he's still here, quite honestly. Um, ben, I'm, I'm going to um, do that awkward thing of quoting your tweet back to you. Uh, <laughs> this is what you said on Saturday. You said, can't believe we're getting the chance to watch Emmy Buendia at this level again. Skill, desire, movement, aggression. Just a joy to watch when he plays like that. Um, can you elaborate on that in more than 280 characters? Yeah, I probably can. I mean, I could probably fill a whole podcast talking about Emmy Buendia, to be honest. I said joy to watch because really, like, we all watch football for joy ultimately and when you when you see a player like that playing like that you just want to carry on watching it I'd have happily just carried on watching him playing in that match for hours and hours and hours he was great wasn't he and I think what but what impressed me as much as his work on the ball which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute and and his amazing goal was his his attitude and how that um how that translated into kind of his role in the team and his pressing which was which was excellent I don't know you might have stats on ground covered Steve I was trying to find these before we came on the pod but I, I couldn't I don't my... actually I've never had no. access to those so unfortunately I can't I can't uh, back you up on that it felt to me like certainly he of the attacking four he covered a lot of ground um it's, yeah his pressing was really good his movement off the ball to try and get into positions where he can get the ball and cause havoc was superb and obviously the the goal the goal I mean <laughs> the goal yeah the goal is absolutely tremendous and it, it 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 was an incredible first touch. Although I mean, <laughs> I think back to some of the other Emmy Buendia first touches. It might not even be in the top three. I mean, you, you think back to that the one against Hull where he kind of did the scorpion kick. Um, there was a ridiculous one in that QPR game as well that he kind of brought over his shoulder. He's just always had that ability. I've never known anything like it for somebody to kind of effectively at waist height bring the ball down with their. Yeah, no, he did it. He did it again in the second half, didn't he? Um, yes. In the penalty area as well, but also for his goal, I think his second touch was kind yeah. of even. You know, not not as kind of beautiful, but it was. It, it the second touch really just made the goal because the first touch it kind of while, while he brought it down majestically. Some of the words I'm using here are ridiculous. Really, <laughs> but, um, while he brought it down very well, the second touch straight away to kind of. Um, balance himself and position himself to score the goal was was excellent and we know we know he needs to add more goals to his game we've spoken yeah. about that before but I think um <laughs> regardless of stats and I'm not gonna sort of bin stats off here Steve but when, when and he scored a goal <laughs> he scored a goal here so fair play but when when he when he's performing like that and, and putting in that much effort and that, and demonstrating that much quality yeah it's, it's just it's just great to watch if if you know regardless of the result really and but obviously in this occasion he was able to contribute directly to a positive result with a goal which which was kind of the icing on the cake yeah i, th- I think people see you know when he, when he kind of throws his arms up in the air when he's when things aren't going so well people well people look at that and think oh he's having a strop again I'm, I'm not so sure that that is the case i think he's just somebody that has incredibly high standards of himself and teammates and you kind of take that when you get a performance like like saturday's yeah uh, what you said about the guy it was just three perfect touches wasn't it, it i mean yeah. I'm, i don't want to compare it necessarily to the goal that dennis burkamp scored against leicester <laughs> where he kind of just brings it down perfectly and but it, it was one of those where all the three touches had to be right and that's what made it so aesthetically pleasing. I, I think i saw a video on twitter and credit to the person who who posted this but it, they they um the post was of Leo Messi's goal against Nigeria, I think, in the in the World Cup, oh, yeah. the last World Cup, where it was a very similar kind of goal, where I think it might have been three touches, control, set, shoot, and it was it was really clinical, fantastic goal. 
So there we go. We've just compared Emmy Buendia to Dennis Bergkamp and Lionel Messi <laughs> in the space of about 30 seconds. Um, um, can I, on the attitude point there, Steve, yeah, sorry, go before go we ahead. move on. Um, I found it interesting when him and Max Aarons have had a bit of a tete-a-tete in the second half. Um, I think Aarons was maybe frustrated that Buendia didn't pass him. It was, I can't remember which way it's around, but I think that just shows, you know, we're in a position in the game where we're comfortable playing really well. But these two like players on the right, who obviously are so important to our team, mm. like just want continually want to just get it right every time and be better and and have a positive impact, which I like to see. Actually, I like to see a bit of um, and obviously not to Lee Bowyer and and uh, <laughs> Kieran Dyer extent, but um, a bit a bit of verbals between teammates. I think in, in the right context is good to see. Okay, so. Uh, we've we've kind of covered the Bristol City game in a fair bit of detail already, so we will rattle through the things that we are not going to talk about. So these are the things that um, have happened over the last seven days, but we're going to kind of quickly uh, go through them so that uh, we don't take up too much of your time. Um, so Bristol City was the second game, of course, this week. The first one was a 1-1 draw at, uh, at Brentford. Um, Norwich City were behind for an hour in that game. Ivan Tony's header cancelled out by just an absolute pile driver by Kenny McLean. The, the <laughs> flew into the bottom corner, um, kind of nicely paralleled with the 61 minutes that they were behind at Griffin Park two years ago. Um, Obviously, it wasn't the, the, as glamorous as the Bristol City game, so we'll, we will kind of rattle through the points. But Ben, could you kind of give us 30 seconds on your take and maybe some of the, the bit of tactical analysis on that match? It was one of those championship games where you kind of... It, it, was, a, it was a bit scrappy, it was a bit ugly, even though obviously there's a lot of quality on show from both sides. It felt like the, the, actual, the actual nature of the match, it, it, it kind of felt like you know there wasn't going to be a lot kind of in it in the end. Um, and for Norwich to kind of come away from that, and although the, the the goal was obviously very fortunate, I don't know. It kind of it kind of demonstrates the point that you made earlier about the ability to grind out results, however you kind of do it. Um, whether it's a Mario, a beautiful Mario Vrancic free kick in in the last minute, or a <laughs> as you described it, a um, pile driver from Kenny McLean, which was probably heading for the old Griffin Park if it didn't get deflected. <laughs> I mean, how, I, don't, I don't know. As far as I know, that's still his goal. It's not been taken away from Yeah, him yeah. Now. No, it is his goal. Yeah, it is his goal. And yeah, I, I it was probably a better strike than I indicated there, but it certainly was obviously a very lucky deflection. But it all feeds into this kind of sense that things are maybe going our way again, which they definitely weren't. Um, after project restart in the Premier League, where it was kind of the complete opposite, so things like that happening, um, yeah. and I, th- I think people came, came came away from that game feeling like actually, yeah, quite happy with that point. Even though obviously there are some fans who are critical of the performance because we didn't steamroll a Brentford like some fans expect us just to, you know, fark a ball every team off the park. Yeah. It just doesn't it doesn't happen in the Championship. And you know, a point away at Brentford, especially you know they went on to they they had a comfortable win at the weekend, so they're obviously picking up a bit of um, momentum as well. You're right. The, uh, the the context of that is the result that Brentford got at the weekend. I mean, they they probably will be a top six team at the end of the season. You would expect. Um, it, it felt like uh, talking about the second half. It felt like one of those games where the, the ball seemed like it was out of play for about half an hour of the, those four five minutes. Like it, it, it was constantly out for long throws, and I think just to get that point and come away from it, you'd, you'd absolutely take it. And like you say, it's just not the kind of thing that's been going for us. So um, I say we take it and, and move on. Um, one player who uh, we haven't really spoken about, but we briefly, but not in terms of performances, is Jakob Sorensen. 
who um, filled in at left back for, for both games. And maybe filled in is a little bit harsh, in fact. Um, he, he was given four minutes notice um, ahead of the, the Brentford game and, and did a pretty good job. Um, you can read more about that in uh, Michael's article in The Athletic in which he is labelled Mr Chill. I'm, I'm not clear whether that's a Norwich City nickname or one that Michael's given him. Um, but, I thought but it's I, Michael who was labelled Mr Chill. No? Okay, it's, 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 it's Sorensen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was like that that Spider Man meme where they both pointed at each other and went, "You're Mr. Chill, no, you are." Um, so, uh, well, let's let's talk about uh, Jakob and not Michael, though. Obviously, he gave away the penalty against Bristol City, but I I would say pretty encouraging performances on the whole. I think he was more involved against Brentford from what I saw. Um, and then maybe not so much against Bristol City, maybe a little bit more solid. Obviously, his pass for, for Pukki's for, for, for Pukki's goal, second goal was fantastic. And then the um, the tackle for the penalty is obviously the main negative point of his performance. I feel like he's, he's done as well as you could expect him to do, right? Uh, I feel a bit sorry for him, but he seems like a kind of grounded kind of chap who has kind of taken it on the chin and has, has given his all and offers kind of a bit of physical. Obviously, we don't really know how his qualities will translate into a position that he's used to playing in yet because we haven't seen him in midfield. We haven't seen him maybe at centre-back where he, he has mooted to, to potentially play as well. But... Um, yeah, I think I think he's done fine apart from the rugby tackle, but let's maybe skip over that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if Christoph Zimmerman's been giving him lessons on how to tackle with your head, but, if but so, uh, he was put in a difficult situation by a poor yeah. header from Grant Hanley as well. Um, yes, it was, was right. already on the floor, and he was obviously trying to do anything to to stop <laughs> to stop the attacker getting in there, and that happened. But I'm not going to at all criticise. Jacob Lungi Sorensen, otherwise known as JLS, um, <laughs> <laughs> to me anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. a reference that I haven't heard for about ten years. But, yeah, I'm happy to go with JLS. Uh, let's okay, we'll, uh, we'll go back to Bristol, the Bristol City game briefly then, because we have talked about the penalty. I mean that penalty was bad. I mean, if you're going to go for the dink, you've got to get it right, haven't you? That, that's, that's a key thing. I was trying to think. I can't think of a worse penalty that I've seen in a Norwich City game than that. And then poor Naki. Naki or Naki, I'm going to go Naki, that's what they were saying on commentary. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ben got hauled off five minutes later and just looked devastated, but it wasn't good, was it? No, he had a bit of a, a stinker, Wells, really, because he set himself up for that amazing chance in the first half as well and then completely fluffed his lines. Um, and I think he had another couple of shots of a bit wayward. Um, I think that penalty, like surely it's the first case of a goalkeeper saving a penalty without actually touching it. I mean, Krull got so far in his head. I'm, I doubt he's even kind of out of his head yet. He's trying to find his way out out of out of um, Naki Wells's head <laughs> as, as we speak. It's still he's still trying to escape. But. Yes, well, we we will come on to to Tim's role in in all of that later. I'm pretty sure I could hear um, him sort of saying, "Yeah, come on, Naki," um, when he when he was uh, walking up to take it. I'm sure that didn't help him. Um, so away from the football, and this, this already feels like it's aged pretty badly in the space of three days. But obviously, lockdown, we, we know now we're, we're heading back into that next week. Um, so in that context, um, Delia's letter to Boris Johnson, not ideally times, but no. the, uh, intentions were, were good behind that, right? Yeah, I think they were. And obviously the, the, the club statement that kind of came from that um, 24 hours later, I think I liked it on Twitter because I was like, yeah, that sounds really good. And then sort of 24 hours later, I looked like I'm sort of really out of touch with the, <laughs> the state of the <laughs> coronavirus crisis in the country because like, yeah, obviously we're not going to be going back to football grounds anytime soon. Who, what a stupid idea. Yeah. I'm going to go and un- unlike that tweet maybe. But um, 
I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult to say, isn't it? Like, obviously, we're in a situation in this country now where we are going into lockdown. I don't think any of us kind of, I think we all expected it. I don't think any of us are against it, really. Um, and obviously, part of that is not not going to Carrow Road, which is, which is crap, but it is what it is at the moment. Um, and football's going to carry on, as you said, at the top of the show, Steve. So... Yeah. Hopefully, you know, we, we can kind of get from it what we will. And if we keep winning matches, then that's something, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. And well, I, I, I particularly like the last line as well. Uh, inviting Boris Johnson to come to Carrow Road, which then just had an, I've got an image in my head now of, of Boris Johnson standing in the lower Barclay <laughs> with, with, all the, with all the diehards and, and how that might go down. One player who has played a huge role over the last seven days is Tim Krull. And Tim is our centrefold this week. Um, Michael has this incredible knack of uh, picking articles or, or features about players who then go on to do incredible things in the next few days. Um, Tim's definitely one of those. Um, his article went up on The Athletic last week. You can read that piece it was a really good one, actually. He kind of talked to Tim about some of his best saves, about his last two years playing for Norwich City. There were some great stops that I'd completely forgotten about. So, yeah, we kind of had the full Tim Krul playbook in, in the last uh, couple of games, didn't we, Ben? Some fantastic saves. Um, a shot that maybe he could have done better with in the Bristol City game. And then, um, well, I'm just going to call it the penalty shithousery that you've already referred to. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, parental uh, <laughs> warning for that one. Um, let's do the saves first, though. What was the best one? Because there were a few. But- for me, the best one was the save from Chris Martin's long-range effort. Um, it was proper fingertip stuff, and it was a fantastic shot from Chris Martin. Um, and it was, it was such a good save that the commentator was convinced that Tim Krull got nowhere near it. Um, <laughs> so I think, <laughs> I think just for that alone, that, that save was the best. But his one um, as well from, I think it was a header from a corner, wasn't it? Where he kind of clawed it away was um, uh, great reflexes as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, it's the, it's the Chris Martin fingertips. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I, initially with that one, I, I thought I heard two noises. Um, so I thought, oh, he's got a touch on that. And then I think I watched, they showed the first two replays back and I thought, well, no, he hasn't touched it. And then they showed the really slow-mo one and you just saw the, the touch. And it was, it was so close that you knew it must've been going in. Had he not touched it? Then it you was. should be a cricket, you should be a cricket umpire, Steve, with that, with that hearing, <laughs> mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have had to have gone upstairs for Snicko. I feel like we've talked yeah. about cricket a lot already. <laughs> um, yeah. Tremendous stuff. I, I, but I, I guess, the, the context of the Brentford save, though, was the time it came in the game, 1-0 down, had that gone in, and it was a, it was a brilliant stop. And, and I think he made another good one from close range. I can't remember who had the chance. might have been in Bume. Um, mm. No, it was Canos, in fact. Um, it would have been 2-0, and, and you kind of feel that's game over. So with that, plus the Rotherham penalty save early in the season, he's saving his points this year, isn't he? Yeah, he definitely is. And, you know, his influence on the team is is there for everyone to see, not just in his kind of performances and the way he is getting, like, leading to us getting more points than if he wasn't in between the sticks, which is, you know, what exactly what you want from a goalkeeper. He adds so much more than that, I think. And we're probably going to talk about this a bit more, but what what a piece of kind of recruitment he has turned out to be, really. And he's still only 32, which kind of for a goalkeeper is is you'd say kind of peak, wouldn't you really? And this is a guy who's played at the World Cup as a Netherlands international, is is a current Netherlands international playing for us in the championship. So yeah, um, 
he, he really is kind of at the top. I feel like he's at the top of his game. On your point on the um, goal Bristol City scored, um, yeah, I think maybe he could have he could have done a bit better, but I don't know. There are, there are a couple of instances there where we could have done a bit better, including yeah. preventing the kind of the pass from midfield in the first place, which which created the chance for Bristol City. So yeah, I'm not pinning that goal purely on his shoulders. Yeah, I think I think I am being slightly hypercritical there. Just it just took me back to two years ago again um, when uh, there were a few occasions. I seem to remember Swansea where I think Daniel James scored one, and Rotherham at home as well where Cruel parried a couple into an area where perhaps it could have gone further away into danger. It is being hypercritical, but it also you know the thinking back then would have been oh it's another cruel mistake whereas now we just don't expect he's come such a long way it, it, you know i hate the word journey but if we're going to talk about his journey then it, it has been an incredible and like you say a brilliant piece of recruitment um i was trying to think actually so so when when did the virgil van dyke injury happened i was i was trying to think in norwich city terms who who would be the worst player for that to happen to for us um, in terms, you know, someone to get a really bad injury to rule them out for the rest of the season. And I, I landed on, I think I landed on Tim. Um, am I right to hold him in, in that higher regard? Um, yeah, I think so. Obviously, a, another injury to one of our centre-backs right now wouldn't be great. <laughs> but, um, it's true. <laughs> if Ben Gibson got scissored by somebody, um, I'm not entirely sure that would go down fully. But no, I, I, I think I'd agree with you, actually, because... While while we we kind of spoke so glowingly about our attacking players um, earlier on in the pod, we kind of have a few options in that area. We could probably, and we are surviving without a couple of them, Hernandez and Dal being out. Um, and we kind of we have got different options there, and we can rotate and we can play diff- different ways with with the goalkeeper. And it kind of harks back to what I said earlier about the, it's not just his ability as a goalkeeper; it's his leadership. It's his it's his kind of command, his voice, his mm. experience, um, which is which is crucial. Like this is a guy who's who's done a lot of very kind of big things in the game. You know, he's played at the highest level, um, and he is able to be the kind of guiding hand. I think for a lot of our players, I think there was a, a great video that the club may have put out just before the Brentford game, or I think it was after the Brentford game. But it, the the clip was just before it, where Cruel basically gave Sorensen a big hug. Um, mm before the game and kind of I think that was a little window into the kind of um, person that he is in the dressing room I know he is hugely kind of respected by everyone at the football club so yeah I think and you know I'll admit when when we first signed him I wasn't sure and he he wasn't very convincing in the first few months um, of his time here and my kind of doubts remained at that point but fair play to the club and Daniel Farker for kind of persisting and you know we, we're getting the rewards of that now where we have a goalkeeper who who is do, doing who, who's doing everything we can expect of him really what I would say is only two clean sheets from nine in the league so far this season and we have conceded more goals than any other team currently in the top six in the championship so I think we there's still maybe more to come from cruel and and kind of the thing the thing maybe I'm most most encouraged by is is his his kind of influence and Hanley and Gibson and that triangle of, I don't know if it, that feels safe to me, that triangle yeah. of, of Cruel, yeah. Hanley and Gibson. Well, I think they've, they've all been promoted from the, the championship, haven't they? So that's, yeah. that's not a bad base to have. It, it's interesting you said that one of the, th- one of the things that stood out to me in the, in the piece that, that Michael wrote was um, Cruel saying to Jamal Lewis when they were on the, uh, I think it was when they were on the open top bus tour 
um, you know, you're going to hate me at times next season because I will be getting on your case if, you know, when we can see goals, which obviously they inevitably did. Um, but, but it, yeah, I think that relationship that he has with his defenders, you, you feel like it's really strong. You feel like he's, he's someone that, that works on that and, 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 and that's important to him. And I think that's yeah, part and of what you, you want that from your goalkeeper, don't you? You think of Peter Schmeichel and him burning the back of Gary Neville's ears with his like <laughs> um, his own very version of kind of the hand hand dryer treatment, hand dryer hair dryer treatment. Sorry, not yeah. hand dryer, <laughs> hand dryer treatment. That'd be very different. <laughs> the hair dryer, yeah, <laughs> the hair dryer treatment. Um, from you, you, I think you want that voice. You want that that vocal presence um, from your goalkeeper, and and he really is that. And he, he seems to love it here. He seems to be really enjoying because he, he could play probably at Premier League level. Um, I don't know if anyone has actually kind of been interested in him um, since he's become good here at Norwich, but, but he, he really wants to be here. I get that sense. And he, he's, he's such an important kind of individual for, for the squad and an important player for the team. Like, and I think those, there are two different things, but two kind of equally important things. Yeah, he does feel like someone who we're, we're lucky to have. Yeah. Right, so we have spoken uh, at length and tried to sound like experts for a while now. Now, this is the part of the podcast where we prove ourselves to not really know much at all because we have to make predictions at this point. Um, it's the, the part which Michael dubs, this is just like fantasy football. Um, so uh, obviously we have seven days until our next podcast. We have two games in that time, uh, two away games last week and two away games, uh, two home games, I should say, in the week coming up. Um, a quick point of order. Uh, the Millwall game has been brought forward from 7.45pm to 7pm. So make sure you don't miss it. Otherwise, you'll miss the entire first half. And then we've got Swansea at home at 3pm on Saturday. Um, I should say, actually, uh, let's give uh, Stuart Hodge some credit where it's due. He said he could see us taking four points or more from the two games. He was absolutely right. Um, I said that Todd Campbell was going to score. Uh, he plays at least five minutes. <laughs> so uh, I was less successful. So that's the two, way, two ways that it can go. Uh, so, Ben, I'm going to ask for some kind of prediction. It doesn't have to be even related to the game. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a game-related prediction. I think we will beat Millwall. Um, and I think the score will be 2-0. And then I think Swansea is going to be a tough match. I think they, I really like the look of Swansea um, this season. I think they're a proper outfit and proper contenders in the championship. Um, so, but for me, I'm looking forward to the spectacle of that game, especially if we come off the back of a win against Millwall, the kind of, because we would have won so many games recently, I think we'll, we can go into that game with a bit of freedom. And, you know, if we don't necessarily get a win, it's not the end of the world. So I, I think maybe that'll be a good game. Maybe like a, a 1-1 or a 2-2. Let's go for a 2-2. So a 2-0 win over Millwall and a 2-2 against Swansea. Um, okay. I'm just trying to think if there's anything outside of the matches that I could predict. Um, maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think like who's going to play left back. Is, it, is he going to persist with Sorensen? Like maybe we'll see Michael McGovern play left back. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, you know, Michael McGovern might be third choice for we know. We don't, we're not yeah. blessed with left backs at the moment, are we? Well, <laughs> maybe we'll see some more minutes for uh, Bally Mumba. Quite liked him coming on in a random left wing role. 
uh, on Saturday. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll go the for new Marco Stephenman, the new Marco Stephenman kind of fullback winger. Well, yeah, I, I don't know whether I'd rather see McGovern or Stephenman at left back. To be <laughs> That's up for debate. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it occurred to me actually that these were two really memorable games. I mean, there were so many, many memorable games from uh, ding, 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 ding two years ago. Um, the Millwall game, obviously 4-3 at home. You know, anyone who was there will always remember that one. Uh, the yeah. Swansea game, completely different match, which we won 1-0 thanks to a moment of quality from uh, Emmy Buendia. Um, but you feel like they're going to be two completely different tests. Um, Millwall will bring the physicality. Swansea, um, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm completely uh, living up to stereotypes here, but as I understand, <laughs> they play the nice passing stuff. Millwall are going to be a bit more physical under Gary Rowett. Do you know what? I... <laughs> I'm going to go for two wins and I'm completely setting myself up for a fall next week, but I'm saying two wins to Norwich City. Uh, scores, Steve, please. Steve. Oh God, do I have to scores. be that specific? Yeah, yeah. Um, goal, goal, goal scorers, assists. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not prepared to get into this no. game, but I will say 1-0 against Millwall and then I'll go for a, I think there could be goals in that Sunday game, same as you. I reckon, let's, let's say we edge it 3-2. Okay, and I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. So, um, I hope you've enjoyed it. On the Ball will be with you every step of the way this season and, of course, during the upcoming lockdown. And you can subscribe via your podcast player of choice. It's available completely for free for anyone on your usual podcast player and it will be ad-free to subscribers of The Athletic via the app. Uh, if you like what we're doing on On The Ball, please leave a review and a rating and spread the word of our efforts across the Norwich City world. And if you want to get in touch or ask a question for the next podcast or any future podcast, then, uh, well, you can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at NCFC Numbers, or um, I dare say Michael will be checking his Twitter in the next few weeks as well. So at Michael J. Bailey for him. Thanks very much, Ben. That was all right, wasn't it? Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Very, very enjoyable. Excellent. Well, stay safe and stay well, everyone. And we look forward to welcoming you back again next week for another On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic.